minds. And here is your host, Gary Cachulio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to the show, who are Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, and root worker. You can find her at MsAida.com, M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A.com. Also, Ginger Glasser. She is a tarot reader, evidential medium, and psychic. You can find her at tarotbyginger.com and Alan Questell. You can find Alan at uncommonsensing.com. And his latest book is called Intentional Acts of Kindness. And you can find it on Amazon. And Intentional Acts of Kindness is definitely something this world needs right now. So I would say check it out. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Penny Pierce. And about 15 years ago, I had read a book by her called Frequencies, and it kind of started me down this path. And uh, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So what brought you to the world of metaphysics? <laughs> it was a really gradual path for me. Um I guess my mother always believed in reincarnation mm -hmm. and I agreed. I thought, oh, that was made logical sense, you know, and then I kept my interest going in those sorts of things, even in my early childhood. But by the time I got to high school, I started reading a lot of those kind of books, you know, the older ones, um, Edgar Casey and Alan Bond and, and a bunch of the, mm -hmm. the stuff and then transpersonal psychology and psychic discoveries behind the Iron Curtain, you know, and all these things. And um, I, it built up my interest in mysteries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I just kept, you know, I was a designer. I was a graphic and interior designer. So I was really kind of grounded, but also artistic in a practical way in my career. But my side thing was, was all this other stuff. And it just, that got stronger and stronger and stronger. And um, I moved to California and up to Marin County, where it was a hotbed of all this stuff back in the day. And um, and it, it got even stronger. And I took classes there on clairvoyance development. Mm -hmm. And I was good at it. And I didn't, I didn't really know why I was taking it, but um, it, it just kind of blossomed. Wow. And as that got stronger, then I, I was a corporate art director at a company up there. And then that they laid me off. They laid off their entire uh, graphics and art department. And so the other thing was there, and it became a freelance business. And everything just grew. And then I met Kevin Ryerson, who's a trans medium, pretty well known with Shirley MacLaine's book mm -hmm. and... Um, and he and I worked together for four years. And uh, so it, it just was like this in interesting, like the path opened and opened. If I said yes to this experience, then another one came. And then I ended up being a part of this group called the Center for Applied Intuition in San Francisco. Mm. And that 
the director of that was a scientist at Stanford Research Institute. And he was doing a thing called intuitive consensus, which was where he had a kind of team of intuitives. He would ask a set of questions to everybody separately, get readings on it, then kind of cull that for commonalities mm-hmm. and similar inter- in, in, information. And, um, and then he started selling that to some of the big companies in the Silicon Valley. So we did that for a while. Then the Japanese got wind of it, and they asked us to come over and do um, teachings and trainings for them. It was businessmen, mainly. So then I went to do that with him, with the director. And um, and then that started a 20-some-year um I guess gig you would call it, um, <laughs> in Japan and working all over Japan with teachings and doing readings and things. And then I just started traveling a lot around the world. and It just grew and grew and grew. And I started writing, let's say I wrote The Intuitive Way in 96 mm-hmm. or so. And then um, Frequency came a few years later. But I've written, I'm now working on the 11th book. So um, that's been a, a, a joyful part of my career. I like, I like writing a lot. Yeah. One of the things that I remember, I mean, yeah, I read it like 14 years ago, so my memory is a little <laughs> sketchy on it. But I remember it just being one of the most clearest explanations of all the stuff that you mentioned prior. Like, like when I was growing up as a kid and all that. The information in the books that I had access to, not that they were sketchy, but they were they were still trying to hide secrets, kind of. And you kind uh-huh. of had to make, you know, you know, especially like the occult books. <laughs> they were like, you know, yeah. Yeah. So they weren't, they weren't they weren't clear. They weren't for like, you know, the average person. Um, uh huh. But but I thought your book was, and I found a lot of the ideas in your book kind of connected with a lot of the ideas that I had also was reading about in Hermeticism. Uh-huh. Yes, that's true. The Hermetic teachings are very much similar. I think I must have had some lives in there, you know, but I I think about spirituality and religion and, um, you know, for me, religion has an intermediary you know, a priesthood mm-hmm. that tells people what God means, you know. <laughs> And I'm not, I don't want that. I like mysticism where you have a direct connection with the higher energy line or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, even believed that God was some kind of a big man and a throne and doing these things. It wasn't like an entity, it was a force or a large something and, or a consciousness of some sort. And so, to read about a lot of other kinds of spiritual religions and things and kind of melded them. And then I used my own common sense and my own connection, I guess, mm-hmm. to form a, a sort of a worldview that, you know, it's like physics, you know, the laws of the universe, you know, and physics does it in a physical way and metaphysics does it in a non-physical way. And there are... Um, mathematical patterns and you know it's there's an order to it and uh so i i like the pythagoras teachings Mm -hmm. and some of those older things and the egyptian stuff 
and um, and then I traveled to Egypt <laughs> two really? times, you know, and went. I was in the king's chamber in the sarcophagus twice, what was and that had like? visions, and it was really? that was amazing. Yeah. What did you What did you have a vision of? Well, the first time, I. And it came on quickly, and it was just a brief thing, but it was a great teaching. It was, I was looking at a field of energy that was sort of indigo in color, but it had black dots all through it. And I suddenly knew those were my blockages, you know, that my belief systems, old things that I hadn't cleared yet, that it was in the way. And I could look at the black dots, and they would get closer, or I could look at the indigo background, and the black dots would disappear. And I was doing that for a minute, and then I really saw that, you know, what you pay attention to is what um, occurs for you. And it was hard to not pay attention to the black dots because they were so, um, you know, attention-getting. And uh, But I was really practicing, and then I it stopped. And that was, you know, okay, Penny, get it, you know, do it, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then... Some years later, the next time I went in, I was sitting on, here I say God's knee, or this this huge being. I was sitting a little, like I was a little person sitting on a big knee. And I would say, and the whole idea was that I would point to somebody or something that needed help, and that being would do it. So my wow. job was to ask Mm -hmm. And I could determine the flow of things by, um, you know, directing my attention again. And then whatever I chose, yes, of course, we'll do that with you. You want to help that little kid? We will do that. You know, and that was, an, again, brief, but very powerful. Wow. So, yeah. so what were some of the blockages that you've had to clear? And what were some of the ones that were most difficult? Because I, I know that uh, I struggle yeah. with a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I think some of it was around old um, feminine stuff. Like um, I, I finally got that I had died in childbirth a number of times. Mm -hmm. Some awful things were like some men ripped the baby out of me and whacked it against a wall and <sighs> killed it. And I was, you know, like those kind of traumatic things. They just like, you know, you, you inhale and you forget to exhale, you know. And so I had fibroid tumors, you know, in my, my uterus this life. So we got that handled. Um, and um, But, you know, just things like I've been very aware of not wanting to have any ego, you know, and catching. And I'm a double Leo, of course, so I, that's in my face all the time. And... Um, but, yeah, so then any time I would feel myself going in that direction, I would, like, really try and, and, like, let go and become more transparent and don't, you know, I don't need that kind of identity. Hmm. Um, and, and just a um, more humble path, but not humble less than. Humble to me, I, I started feeling it. What it was was just, like, it's being in truth with what you are in the moment, you know, and you don't try to change it or be less than whatever's happening. Or if somebody really appreciates you, don't say, oh, no, that was nothing. Just say, just thank you very much, you know. And, and you don't have to be better than any, anybody else. You know, it's just, so I started practicing those kind of things, you know. And um, uh, 
I I think that there was also, um, you know, I I grew up with parents who'd been in the depression with their parents, and mm-hmm. so we had a kind of a frugality thing in my family. But we had my my father made a good amount of money, had a good he was a corporate president, and so we didn't suffer. But it was always you know common sense, be frugal, don't pay too much for something, and all that. And I kind of had that in me about. Um, I was calling it deprivation consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so I've been writing a book on money now, and <laughs> which which came in a weird way because um, I kind of whack on the side of the head in the middle of a session with a with a client. <laughs> like, and I said, you're just supposed to write about money now. And I'm like, but I don't know that much about money. Do I know anything? You have to do it next. That's the next one. And I had another book outlined and they, no, and then it wouldn't leave me. But anyway, so I was working on this book, and I came to an insight about gratitude and generosity as something that goes together. They are states of being that interconnect. Yeah. And that, and so I started to feel into what gratitude was and generosity was, and I could feel many other states of being in them, like sweetness or sincerity and other things that are that gratitude is composed of. And so I really went deep into what those things are. And I kept thinking about it a lot and writing it in the book a lot. And, and I decided I, I wasn't thinking, I'll, well, maybe I'll, I'll just try to be more, more grateful. I decided and chose that I am going to be, I'm going to get out of deprivation consciousness because who does that serve? And I'm into generosity and gratitude and about a week or so later, I had a heart problem that came up out of nowhere, and I got put in a cardiac ICU. I had a mitral valve blow open, and um, so I was in the ICU for three weeks, and my heart literally, I had open heart surgery. I mean, so how do you get to be more great, generous and great, grateful that you have your heart open? And so I just took that whole thing as... Um, not a tragedy, but a rite of passage. You know, that this is something that while I had no near-death experiences or any big memories of <laughs> being out of my body, mm-hmm. but I figured while I was there, and it was on the the spring equinox, which is supposed to be a, some kind of portal this year, uh, and I think I accessed a lot of stuff, but I didn't know it at the time. And it's been dribbling in a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, because recovery process from that kind of surgery is long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so, um, you know, it's kind of a mystery, but I believe that everything that happens to you is for your own evolution and everyone's evolution. You know, so I don't take things negatively. Um, <laughs> It's hard you know, to do. It's, no. <laughs> it's it's a practice. It's a spiritual it's, practice. But but you're absolutely right. Like framing things in it, it in, with gratitude, you know, it makes everything much easier because you're creating right. that 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 cycle of energy going yes. in that direction. And like you, I grew up with parents who had that lack. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, even though we had everything we need, it was always like that fear of lack. That's yeah, yeah, and um, 
there's something too about when you look at things with gratitude and generosity, those blockages that we were talking about mm -hmm. um, will surface in a softer way. You're, you're kind of like, oh, I see why I'm not being generous right now. And I don't want to be that way. So I'm going to go back to my own, you know, I call it your home frequency, you know, that state of, I almost think of it as soul in the body, you know, like you're being your wiser self now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not out there somewhere, you know. I always say you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You know, it's not something like a possession. Yeah, that's a complicated topic, you know. I mean, I, I do think the point of view now that we're, I don't know if we're the spark of the divine or, or cosmic consciousness, you know, but we're, the, the idea of oneness, I believe that at the, in the end of this, there yeah. is some type of oneness. Absolutely. You know, when you get out into the spiritual realms, especially even if you just go into your right brain, mm -hmm. everything is so interconnected and, and um, mutually supportive that, you know, you can't even talk about it. The right brain is the direct experience of intuition or direct knowing or that um, kind of unity or communion, maybe, consciousness. Whereas the left brain can talk about it. And I think Terrence McKenna once said, you know, that the function of the left brain is to interrupt the right brain mm -hmm. so that you can know something, you know, pull something out of the background so you can focus on it. Otherwise, we would just be swimming around in all knowledge hmm. and not, not, no need to use it, really, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> uh, but what you place your attention on happens. It's just like my sarcophagus thing with the blue background and the black dots. Yeah. Um, that what you place attention on is what occurs. And I think in spirit, after we die, you know, that's the way we work. And if you don't have that that ability of focusing attention now you're not going to take it with you very well into you know the higher frequencies hmm. so i think it's good that we practice now <laughs> i have a chapter in i think it was leap of perception that's like practice pretend dying and the publisher didn't want me to put that in there oh no and i said yeah but it's you know it's important um uh, I like yeah. learned things also, like from you know, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, sort of focuses on that. Oh, it does. Uh huh. Yeah, because why not get the skills now and become more enlightened? And then when you pass through, you know, drop your body or whatever you're doing mm -hmm. here, um, then you're in it still. <laughs> and you don't have this, you know, big period where you have to remember and make up things and forget the other blockages and get back to your true self you know you're already there and yeah. you bring your memory with you of the lifetime as well it doesn't get blocked as much so i think there's a lot of benefits to um well what would you call that i guess being super conscious with your conscious mind or something like that you know bringing thing getting the messages from what you notice. What is that like for you when you're receiving this information for your books? Huh. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because uh, the last couple of books, which that would be Leap of Perception and Transparency was the last one. And then this one, 
I did not do the typical chapter by chapter outline with what the you know outline of everything is going to be in the book and where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. I just made a, a information dump in a, a, a document of everything I could think of. And then it started to organize itself. And then I could start to make up ideas for the chapters. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I got that going. And then as I started to write, that's when, see, I always say I'm going to connect with the writers in the sky or mm-hmm. whatever, who, you know, the, the other beings that love writing that would like to play <laughs> in, with me in the writing process. And so I figure that's like a council of, out there that's part of part of my group. Um, and so I write with them, but I don't have any in, um, invasion from individual beings or anything. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of telepathic, I think. And I just get ideas like, oh, that should go in there. Oh, explain this, what that means. Um, and then I'll get new information. Like when I was writing Leap of Perception, which is all about moving from our linear way of thinking into the spherical holographic way of thinking, which is the new intuition age. I was like, what is holographic thinking? You know, <laughs> like that's what I was supposed to write about. And then it, it gave me all kinds of methods and how the brain would be shifting. And I was like, I, this is amazing. Mm. You know, and so my books are, like you said, they, I translate higher complex information into palatable form for us here, but it's still somewhat dense. <laughs> you can't read it fast. Yeah. If you try to zim through it, you won't get it. But mm-hmm. if you slow down, because almost every sentence sometimes is a quotable, do you know, it's, it's like, de- it's so packed and comprehensive. Right. That's so, one of the things that makes writing unique and reading unique, I think still. Yeah. I, I go back to my books cause I can't remember what I wrote. Mm-hmm. And then I say, Oh, that's good. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but I, it, part of me is like, I just want to write one book on this topic. That's it. I'm going to, you know, and make it good <laughs> and, and beautiful, you know, and, and musical and whatever, however I can make the language carry the vibration of what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, and that's part of that transparency thing that I'm starting to really get into is, um, I just started a Substack thing called becoming transparent. Um, <laughs> And that's kind of a neat format, too. But, um, yeah, uh, it's, I write, I write the first draft, you know, and then um, it's not sometimes well organized because I didn't have the outline. So then I go back and I say, oh, okay, well, this part should go in that chapter or let's, like, shorten this or let's make an example here. or um, And I can get the feeling of the flow a lot better on the second round. You know, and I like it to be so a copy editor doesn't have to do any typos. You know, mm-hmm. I like it really clean when I finish it. So, well, so when when you're doing going through this process, do you think that when um, when we're talking about the left brain, right brain, you know, do you think that the um, information is coming from the right brain because the right brain is like accessing a place like the Akashic records? That's a, that's a good question. I, one of the things I wanted to do was be able to read the Akashic records 
And I think I might have accessed that during my surgery. But um, sometimes when I ask myself a question, I get a big answer. And I, where is that coming from? Well, it's the big us, you know. <laughs> I think part of it is that I must go out and back pretty quickly to open, to ex- expand and encompass a larger kind of understanding of, of the certain question, which, you know, you could answer a question at different frequencies, at the physical level, at the emotional, mental, or I can go out to the abstract where the the universal laws are, are working and, you know, the, the higher principles and get a, a feeling of that and then bring that feeling in and translate it down mm-hmm. into palatable uh, language. Uh, and I think that's what I do, but it's like an x-ray machine or something, you know, just kind of going through it. When I work with people, I kind of do the same thing. I, it's not so much psychic or predictive that that's not my emphasis, but I look at what's going on with them and then I can see through it into inner patterns of, um, cause I think we're all a blend of love and fear, you know, to some degree. Yeah, definitely. And, and we do things for both reasons sometimes. Yeah. And, um, so, but I'm really all about getting the fear cleared out so more of the light can come through. And so I'll find the, the gifts, the talents, and I'll find the, the fears and how they're interacting and then describe that in a way that they can understand and then start to do something about it. I think that's what it's come down to that's, I think is useful, <laughs> you know. And what what good is it to know you're going to be like this or you were this in a past life if it doesn't really relate to how you're you're going to be expressing yourself right now? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it is really hard to live this dualistic existence. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's conflicting. It's, it is in a way, but I think partly what I've come to is just really finding the spiritual realm inside the physical. Mm-hmm. It's it's all here. It's not a separate dualistic thing, really. Uh, we still think in a linear fashion, which makes things dualistic. Yeah. Right? Because linear perception, I'm here and you're over there. And so there's empty space in between us, but not really. It's all consciousness. It's all energy. So... Um, I think that when you start to feel that whatever's happening in the inside of yourself, like with thoughts or feelings or insights and things like that, are also happening simultaneously in the external world. Like you'll have some event that happens or, you know, get a, a physical experience of something or, a, you know, an object will become a symbol for you or something. Uh, so they're simultaneous. So I've been calling that the law of correlation and to start looking for the correlation of what's in you and outside of you. And you may notice something first in the outside world, like some kind of omen. And then you go, say, why am I noticing that? What's going on? What what message am I giving myself? Because what is that the symbol of? And then I make the connections and I get the aha, you know, and it could start with an inner feeling of like frustration and then I have a backup on the freeway, you know, and I, 
And then I go, okay, you know, what what was under that? And I'm always drilling down, you know, what what's under that? What's under that? What's the core thing? Hmm. That's similar yeah. to me, I think, because like I well, what I do is I'll notice things that I never like. Huh? I never noticed that before. <laughs> how, how did I miss that? You know, and then I'll start noticing other things I didn't notice that sort of correlate to that one thing, and I'm like, this must mean something. Yes, yes. Um, I had a an odd experience. Um, I had gone to the cardiologist, and they were telling me that at the worst possible scenario, I would need a defibrillator put into my chest, and I'm like, 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 and I just felt, wait, I didn't think it was that serious. You know, like, and he said, it'll extend your lifespan. And I thought, I have never used the word lifespan in relationship to myself ever. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not going to live to 100? Or, you <laughs> know, like I thought I was. Well, uh, yeah. So I came home, I was kind of depressed right. for a while, just in, back in deprivation consciousness. And um, so scene shifts, and I have gotten this new pair of shoes that are little, they're slip-on types, you know, but it was a little tight. So I had a shoehorn and I was, I was getting them on with the shoehorn. And, uh, one, and I had the shoehorn on my bathroom counter. I went in the morning to put the shoes on and it wasn't there. So I thought, oh, I must have left it in the closet or somewhere. Um, but then I'm going to go to cardio rehab at the gym. And I, I decided I'm going to take a book and a headphones and a bottle of water. And, but so I need my, my bag. Oh, I'll take the black bag because it goes with my black pants that I had on. <laughs> so I, and it's stored here in my office in the closet. So I come and rummage through and find it. It's hanging under a whole bunch of other bags. I get it out. I throw all my stuff in it. I get to rehab and I'm rooting around for my headphones and there's the shoehorn. Hmm. And it is the same shoehorn. I have not used that bag in easily over a year. And I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh. And then I get this kind of message or whatever thought that, Penny, anything is possible. Just remember, anything is possible. And, um, you know, miracles are possible. Don't, don't slide into that old consciousness stay with the shoehorn experience <laughs> you know and then i thought what is yeah. a shoehorn anyway if you were interpreting a dream yeah. don't force anything don't force that oh that's good yeah i hadn't thought of that but i've thought of it as something that helps you slide into a new reality huh. that's a good one too that you it was too tight well for they're you both for the same thing i guess sort of yeah right not forcing it and easing into something oh, thank you for that insight that's really huh. good um, but I, I think of it as the state I went into during the surgery mm -hmm. that I didn't have quite the memory of, and I was too small or, or not thinking well enough to be able to get into it fully. Mm. And There's so a lot of I, meaning there. Yeah, yeah, and so I have my shoehorn as my new power object. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I just have to remember that. And I've had other things like that materialize or dematerialize over the years but um this I, I hadn't had anything for a while and also it was like hey you're connected right. don't worry about that because during recovery you know your all your brain energy kind of gets sucked into your body you know to, 
help the healing and you're just like a zombie for a while yeah, yeah. so um, <laughs> anyway huh so much yeah. meaning though with that shoehorn you know another one that just sort of popped <laughs> into my head too is like you know the idea that um our soul is bigger than our body or our consciousness is bigger than our body too mm -hmm. our awareness is bigger than right than right you know what would actually fit in that shoe I don't know. It's right, weird, all right. the stuff that comes to it me. It is but, interesting. You know. It's such an interesting experience and how it got thought up by whomever, me and them and whatever. And then I would get those thoughts right at that moment. Yeah. And, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's like sometimes like that stuff's coming from somewhere else, but then we had kind of like, well, no, it's not really but coming we're from also somewhere there. else because we're it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I always think of us like reverse icebergs. You know, we're down here, the little individual self is connected to the big iceberg out there, which is a huge collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And that's us also. I could say that is me if I get to that frequency. If I slow my frequency down, it looks like I'm separate from all the other individual reverse icebergs, you know? Um, and it's all a matter of frequency. How do we raise our frequency? I think it's not through willpower, for sure. Uh -huh. um, it is um, by remembering certain states of being particular like kindness like generosity and gratitude mm -hmm. i mean going into them and like feeling them again and and feeling um how things could be more effortless and magical and and loving and that many are supporting us at the, at any given time that we're so interconnected that we forget to ask for help um, and, and you start to run through those thought states or uh, contemplate beauty, contemplate smoothness or something like that. And you get to this state, which is not like high frequency, like jacked up, like, you know, it's not that. <laughs> it's this, it's almost like the difference between theta and delta and maybe gamma or whatever's out. Uh -huh. You know, it's really smooth, but huge. It's like you're, your sphere around you, your spherical self, gets big and encompasses so much of the unified field and knowledge and love and understanding of how things work in those higher realms. Um, and so it's more about being quiet, you know, quiet and raising your, your emotional quotient your and, and thinking thoughts that are generous thoughts and um but i think we sometimes have erroneous ideas about what something like peace is you know what is it's peace, not I think? it's not a suppression of mm -hmm. something it's an integration of everything that we are and that you know every human has been violent every human has gotten murdered or you know had something terrible happen and lost children or been banished or those things and um, we all have that in common. It's a, it's a, it's a, an ability that we have to feel empathy that allows us to start to find unity. You know, and so I think peace is sometimes it's just going with the flow, like a figure eight, like just staying in that, and and not going like an arrow going in opposite directions, but more. Like you get to one part and it turns. It never stops. There's a turn at the end of each thing. 
that you thought were opposites, Mm -hmm. it turns and goes back to the other side. And then it turns and goes back to the other side. And the whole thing is peace. It's a kind of feeling state. Um, You know, part of what I was writing about with money was that when you feel into money and what is its core, if it, you know, everything has an inner self, everything has a divine inner blueprint, every object just as well as every person or tree. And um, and so money's is it came into being, I think, as out of love. It's a love motivation that helps people um, learn to connect with each other who might be living in different tribes or different kinds of consciousness or different languages to exchange. Here we go again. You know, I'll give you, you give me, we'll do this. And... Um, so in it's so it is about reconnecting and creating communion and creating trust, but it got way out of whack because of fear again, and then we got greed, and we got ego, and and then that has distorted the way we work with money, you know. So uh, it's created you know scarcity consciousness and all this abundance consciousness, mm-hmm. you know that. Uh, I'm kind of sick of all the jargon, but that's, that's stuck in that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. um, So I guess that's, it's hard to really define some of these states of being. Yeah. I mean, but if you money, I I think of it as as a a flow of energy, right? You know, I mean, I think that's what it was originally intended to be. Yes. Yes. Just a way of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the gift societies really still do that, you know, the, the, and barter even, um, still kind of holds to that a lot. Um, but you get Bitcoin and those kind of things, and then you've just got this crazy greed thing happening because quick, you know, profits and all that stuff. Um, so anyway, it's a lot to think about. <laughs> and, you know, I said, I don't know anything about money. And then just the other day, I was looking through an, a blog posts that I had, and I and I was going to use it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, well, I'll just go back all the way back to like my early ones. Like, so I went back to 2008, pick that. And I opened it up and there was a blog post about money and money flow, and a lot of the terms that I'm using in the book, I was using in that blog post of 2008. So I've got to work that into my book somehow, but it was like I went right there, you know, and it was like just how do <laughs> these is, is that weird happen? for you when you go back and read something like that you've written yeah. a long time ago? You're like, yeah. wait, it's like, it's like, was that me that wrote that or somebody else, right? Yeah, there? no. And even my early journals, when I was like 20 or something, you know, I was writing, you know, pretty wise things. And it's like you are the soul all the time. You've been there all the time. You know stuff. You know, you're not, you didn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all there. But, you know, maybe framed in a more naive way back then. But, um, it's a, such a continuum. I, I wonder if it's just like we're limited to the amount of this stuff that we can bring to the forefront. It could be, and it could be timing too. It's like yeah. um, I'm, you know, you go through phases where you're remembering stuff that you know and bringing it 
in and then kind of grounding it. I think journaling is a great way to do that. It makes it concrete enough that mm. you've got it. Um, but And so I'm teaching a little bit at that time and giving it out, and then that helps it become more real, the cycle with, with people. And then later, it's the, the audience is ready for frequency, and that book is still selling. You know, they're going to do a 15th anniversary edition of it for next year. It's a it's, great book. <laughs> you know, it's like a it's like a Bible or something. Right. <laughs> so when when you first started probably hearing, because we're around the same age and we grew up with a lot of the same material. Mm. Um, when you started reading about quantum physics, how did that make you feel? Like when all of a sudden, like, wow, some of this stuff is possibly right. backed up by science. Fantastic. Yeah, because it's just it it made me realize that there are these, you know, metaphysics and physics. They're, you know, the same thing but in different formats. And physics is in the physical format, but there's a metaphysical principle behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, and and metaphysics is really the understanding of universal laws. You know, how do things work? Yeah, wormholes. Yeah, you know, um, entanglement. Blah blah blah. All those things are happening in consciousness too. Yeah, it's like a completion sort of feeling of yeah, get it together, integrate it. It's not either or. Yeah, you know, for me too, like it, it just gave it a whole new life of its of its own, and and validated a lot. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I would say even like when I was still reading about stuff in my 30s, I think I was reading it. I was curious. I was interested. But there was a part of me that said, but it's not possible according to physics. You know, and then quantum physics comes around and says, well, yeah, it is. Or, or at least <laughs> at least or at least information for me that I could understand. You know, I mean, quantum physics mm-hmm. was around, but there was not really yeah. books around that I could read it and actually understand uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I I can't get through the the scientific writing very easily. Yeah, you know that, and um, but the concepts I can. Yeah, and um, yeah. So, but you know, it's all the matter of spirit in matter. You know, it's that's what's happening. It's that immersion, integration of. And we're realizing that it's always been there, that we were the ones who separated everything with our left brain. And so we're just remembering now that we're becoming more intuitive and higher frequency, that everything is already together. Mm. You know, what you need is already inside your ball, you know, with you. You just place attention on it and it will start to come and drop in frequency. Mm. Or you take attention out of something and it will dissolve back into the field. Do you believe that Gaia as the planet is raising its frequency? Yes, yes. And I I have had dreams where um, I've seen a kind of bifurcation of the planet. Uh, Not it splits in two, but there's always been, you know, like everything has an inner reality or a higher frequency reality and a physical one. But I think that the non-physical reality is getting stronger and stronger and more filled in 
so that we will at some point have a kind of a splitting of the beings that are higher frequency will go and live in that planet. And it's still here. You know, it's not anywhere else. Um, and we're not changing shape particularly. We're just being transparent in the way we act and know. And our bodies may emit more light or do some things like that. Um, and uh, and the other beings who aren't quite ready for that yet, they will just incarnate back onto the earth that they know. Hmm. And so it won't feel like any change at all. Uh, it's not tragic. It's, it, but I don't know when it's happening, but it could be, you know, within 20, 30 years that this will occur. But I, I really, and it was called, um, in my dream, it was like this event would happen. It was called the void in my dream. And in order to survive the void, you had to become like the void, which meant transparent. Wow. And this man in my dream who was a healer had been working on the East Coast and I was in California and he said, he was in a business suit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he said, you know, uh, the people there are really solid. And I went, oh, uh, yeah. And then he looked at me and he said, well, you're right on schedule. And I looked down and my left shoulder and arm were transparent. Hmm. I mean, I could see through it. And I, and then I knew, oh, yes, that's the thing. I'm supposed to become transparent. And, and then it's as though the event was like time would stop for like a moment or whatever that meant. Um, Ken Carey calls it the nanosecond of non-time in his books. Um, but it's like something would pause and then come back. But when it came back, there would have been such an infusion of higher energy that would come back at a different frequency. But if you were non-attached and you were not in polarized consciousness, you wouldn't have any problem. It would just be boop, boop. But if you're really attached to an old reality and a new one, you would have a little struggle and, you know, have to go back onto the other one that, that is the right frequency. Mm. But, um, so I knew that a lot of people would die on the planet, but it wouldn't be a tragedy. Cause I was like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> like, maybe I'll be one of them. I don't know. But, um, and that has stuck with me. And as, you know, like a lot of what is going on now in the world is, the clearing of the subconscious mind of individuals, but also of nations. So we're watching it happen <laughs> now all over in the news where everything is like super polarized. Right. And that's at the end of the ego. You have polarization, major, major polarization. I'm right. No, I'm right. No, this is the right. That's the wrong way that, you know, until it, it wears itself out or, you know, oh. does itself in. Because we're in a process of ego death, which just means it doesn't get to be the boss anymore. You know, the left brain doesn't get to be the master. And the right brain is the one that brings us all the wisdom and knowledge and higher, higher, you know, intellectual knowledge as well. So what do you think happens to the people who don't want to change? Well, they will. There either be mass exoduses from the planet, in, in, or in in groups leaving, kind of, or you mean, you mean um, like on ships, or 
um, well, in, or in accidents, death. in in earthquakes, or in uh, war, or in you know mm-hmm. illnesses. Look at pandemics, um, whatever, whatever. Uh, and um, it, I don't know. It just feels to me like it. I keep saying it's an act of compassion because to try to force someone to get out of held strongly held beliefs about who they are and how the world works is very difficult unless it's kind of a gradual process or they have some kind of visionary dream that wakes them up right. to understand a lot of these higher principles. You know, and so um yeah, but but that's what I have gotten. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I just always hope that it's not like in the book of Revelations. <laughs> I don't think so. But um, I read a piece that somebody had talked about Armageddon, and the real meaning of Armageddon is the lifting of the veil. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Um, and it does. And you know, you lift the veil, and you're going to see your blockages. That you're acting the way someone acted toward you. You know, and that it was a wound. And it's, and you're sad, really, deeply about it. Not angry. Anger is to keep away the fear and the sadness. I will say one of the things that I don't do anymore is take sides. Right, right, (laughs) right. I just have compassion for everybody involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm compassionate about people being able to wake up. Mm Mm-hmm. And and ha- be on their own growth path as they can handle it, you know. But also, you know, keep on keeping on. I'm going to keep on making information available and bringing guidance through and putting information out as much as I can uh, until I don't need to, <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> whatever is going to happen, I don't know. But, I mean, that's, I know that's why I'm here. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, and we we do have a sense of that. A lot of a lot of people are really waking up to, you know, counseling, coaching, service stuff, mediumship, all these these services that connect the spirit with matter and bring bring spirit into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you know a big influx of that. And yet a lot of people are still like you know <laughs> like not going to look at it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. I mean, I say the thing that holds most people are they're stuck in religious and political views that don't allow them to have these ideas or experiences. Yeah, yeah. They're I like think prisoners so. almost to it, to yeah. materialism. And that's a weird kind of security to, to me. But it is secure and, and, again, compassionate for people who are feeling lost or underneath the surface are... Um, not sure how things work and what you should do and what's real. Um, so get something s- solid like that with rules. Mm. Do you think that a certain amount of people have to be able to con- cultivate love and compassion for the entire planet in order to bring about the shift? Yeah, I, and I don't think it's a real high percentage either. I think it could be 50% or less. 
And in all those ways, we have the help of the planet, too, because the planet's shifting, we're shifting. That's right. It's all shifting. Everything's matching these higher frequencies that are coming in, I think, from, you know, from the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, you know, they had a, a thing about two black holes colliding back in 2016 or someplace. I quoted it in my book um, that sent ripples through, you know, the the field around and it's in the Milky Way, I think mm-hmm. it was. And so it sent ripples. Well, you know, that could be what the waves are that we're experiencing of various things. Mm-hmm. There's interstellar, all this stuff. I can't, you know, talk about physics, the astronomy, oh, and those guys are coming up with amazing things. Yeah, one of my guests recently threw, threw something at me that made sense. It's like, oh, the, the planet is going through this proton field. Yes, uh-huh. Well, I have no way to know or not know, but I mean, it certainly sounds possible. <laughs> it could be. But the sun, they said the sun ejected a huge piece of, you know, at a, one of the flares that if we'd been in alignment with it, would have whacked the earth like nothing. And and those things have happened in the past. Yeah. But I'm not thinking it's going to be a cataclysm like that. I think it's a gradual energetic series of waves that are coming in. And you can feel it. You know, you get hit with one, and you either like conk out, and you're, or you get agitated, because mm-hmm. your body's trying to adjust to it. And sometimes you need to sleep to let that happen, so that you raise up to the next level of of functionality. You know, and and the Earth is doing it, so we're physical. We're part of the Earth. Our bodies are doing it along with the Earth, mm-hmm. and then that means that we notice our spirit more. Because I say the soul is in the body, it always has been, but the mind has been closed. <laughs> so we, we haven't been able to realize it. So wow. now we're clearing our mind and our emotional blockages so that we know that we're here. I think yeah. with me, one of the biggest things that blocks me is um, not wanting to be a part of this collective, you know? Like I look around and I see... The division, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to be a part of it. I want to be separate. And right there, I'm setting myself up for the separate way of thinking. Right, right. Um, I think we have to see the vulnerabilities of people that allows us to feel communion and understanding, which is heart. Heart is about understanding. You know, it's, I don't know that the heart actually breaks, although we feel it here, but I think it's because... Um, it can't do its normal loving function because of some way we're thinking about, like our loved ones are gone. No, they're not gone. They're right here. You can just match their frequency and you can talk to them. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is, you know, I don't even see a need for grief in a way uh, in ter- terms of spirituality. I don't think the soul knows the idea of that. And um, But that's our thing of polarization. Again, oh, they're here. No, they're not here. You know, and in war, all these people have died hor- horrifically, but maybe they needed to do that in that way for their own growth. Who knows? Or um, they'll come right back in again. It, it Spirit works in strange ways. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, I want to wrap this up. I want to yeah. thank you for, for coming on. It was a great interview. And it was awesome getting to talk to you after, you know, <laughs> reading your book 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
And um, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Um, my website is just pennypierce.com. And so that's easy. And then um, I am on Substack now and I'm starting to post pretty, reason, you know, a lot on there. But my website has a lot of free stuff and um, downloadable stuff on it also. Awesome. Well, I'll put a link to your website in the notes of this episode. And what's the new, what's the money book coming out? Well, I haven't really finished it yet. I'm still editing, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure. Uh, it might be, I don't know if it can make it to, out in next year, but maybe 2025 or the end of 2024, mm-hmm. if things go well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a process. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, too, for for being such a good listener and drawing things out of me. (laughs) (laughs) I try. (laughs) All right. Thank you for being here. And hang on for one moment. I'm just going to play the outro. Thank you.